0: Right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. you listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's the week been? Oh, it's
1: been great. All the better for seeing you. Uh, yeah. You actually came up here for the weekend. How, was it Was it worth the journey, Albert, to, to see <laughs> to see Orion up here? <laughs> had a weekend up north
0: in Hartlepool and then Newcastle to see Barney. Uh, It was a road trip to see my team Leighton Orient play uh, Hartlepool United. A five-hour coach trip. Uh, I had to leave my house at 6.30 in the morning and, of course, the game was nil-nil. But all worth it to come and hang out with Barney and have a nice weekend. So I think it was worth it in the end, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, it was. It would be fucking typical that the, the, <laughs> the one evening we're together with uh, <laughs> my wife was out, so we had access to the TV. <laughs> yeah, and what was on the TV, Barney? No big free games.
0: No BT sport game covering Portuguese football. No free sports game. It was B side versus. Uh, Bo so I think we just ate pizza and played PlayStation instead I think that was the right call yeah. <laughs> that was the right call <laughs>
1: well,
0: it's good to be back man yeah it's good to be back it's definitely good to be back obviously um, we had a couple of weeks off uh, we want to say thank you to everyone for your patience we're delighted to be back getting back in the swing of things we missed a lot and there's also a lot to talk about this week so we're going to try uh, and cram in as, as much as possible um, let's start with European football Barney because Of course, there's been a lot of comings and goings uh, for the Portuguese clubs in Europe. Benfica are playing tonight, as we record this, they will be playing Ajax, so when the show is out, that game will be done, we don't know what the result will be, 2-2 on aggregate, we're wishing Benfica all the best, I've seen tons of great videos of Benfica fans out in Amsterdam uh, enjoying themselves, so I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be amazing, a sold out stadium, 3,000 Benficas in the stadium, so yeah, best of luck to that team, hopefully next week we're talking about them uh, with a great result. Uh, In the Europa League, though, Barney, quite a bit of a different story. Porto versus Lyon. Porto, obviously, a goal down. I have to say I found that game very disappointing to watch. Um, I was really disappointed in the result. I think, obviously, VAR didn't do Porto any favours, but it's really not a result that I expected and not the result that Porto would have wanted. And then, of course... Conversely, Barney Braga, who surprised us, I think surprised us both, getting a, a 2-0 win over Monaco. A really excellent result to take over to France. So, yeah, a lot going on. But uh, in general, apart from Porto, I think Portuguese club's in a decent place in Europe, or pretty much where we would have
1: expected them to be. Just to add in the sporting there, he played a boring but a, a decent performance in the 0-0 draw with um, city obviously losing five. I don't agree. I think um Braga, who you mentioned there, I'm so happy for. I think that's a that's a fantastic result. I think that looked like the harder tie on paper as well compared to Porto uh, versus Leon. So I, I was surprised they got as good a result as they did, and they're in a very very strong position. And then Benfica as well. Um, you know, there's players who in that game I've been very critical of throughout the season, but I'm thinking of the centre backs for Tonga and um Otamendi, who really put in. I thought good performances, and the team as a whole. You know, this is a Champions League knockout uh, tie against a very good IX team, and 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 I think they 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 did well to get the draw, and they're they're absolutely in it. So I'm really rooting for them. And um, you mentioned the scenes from the fans that you know, it's such a great advert for Portuguese football. Those fans, like it's just it's absolutely brilliant. So yeah, good luck to all of them, Um, and I'm hoping for some good results. Of course, a lot riding on these results,
0: finally, in terms of the coefficient, because. As we saw, PSG were knocked out of the Champions League uh, by Real Madrid. So if Benfica can progress against Ajax, that will mean a Portuguese club goes further than the French club in the Champions League. And then if Porto can knock out Lyon and Braga can knock out Monaco, that will do wonders for Portugal in their coefficient battle against France. But of course, we've got to see what's going to happen. So this time next week, we'll be uh, talking about all of those games, hopefully with some... Uh, some positive results. Uh, but let's get into the Primera League Liga, Bali. Let's talk about some Portuguese football. And we usually start off with the big three, but I think this week we have to start with what was by far the biggest game of the week as Braga took on Gil Vicente. It was fourth place against fifth. Gil Vicente were on a tremendous run of form, unbeaten in 11 games, including games against Porto and Benfica. They were 10 points clear of their nearest rivals in sixth. And looking to close the gap on fourth place to just one point. And by this point, I know everyone's aware that that's exactly what they did, thanks to an 89th minute bomber from Enrique. Uh, we would dig into the game, of course. But first, Barney, what does this result do for Gil Vicente with eight games left to play of this season? As I said, they're only one point behind Braga. They're in phenomenal form with momentum behind them. Uh, and their eyes will now be firmly focused on fourth place. This is no longer a story of a plucky little team looking to finish in the top five. This is a team that has consistently proven that they can match the big teams in this league and they will want to be knocking Braga off that fourth
1: spot. Well, I usually say about, you know, teams around this area of the table, like the games about the against the big three don't really count. It's these are the games that matter. And of course, it's, this game absolutely mattered. But then, you know, like you mentioned, they got a result against Porto as well. This said they team, they're right up there. And I think as well as... Them being in an excellent run of form, Braga have just hit a good bit of form as well. You know, we've mentioned their uh, exploits in Europe. It was just such a fantastic game, Albert, and, and because both teams were so desperate to win, and and two very interesting points, Albert, because I, Braga we've seen have dips in form, poor results coming at different points throughout the season, but they've always managed to come back. I felt Carlos Carvalho has, you know, whether it's bringing in different players or whatever, he's always sort of managed to bring in enough results. Whereas I think with the Vicente team, there's got to be a dip at some point, hasn't there? <laughs> I, I, there just has to be for me because, you know, the, the squad of players, although they're all playing out of their skins for a is, is, these are not elite level players. Almost all of them have been overachieving. So everything's poised, Albert, for a very, very interesting run. And I think, I think that's the main thing. Absolutely. And look, make, make no mistake because this battle
0: for fourth place, Barney, for me is the storyline to follow for the rest of the season. You know, the title race is virtually wrapped up at this point the relegation battle isn't going to be too crazy but this team this Gil Vicente side could really be ready to shake up the league in the last few games and just to finish up on this point Barney if you look at the eight game run-in that these two teams have left Gil Vicente only have to play sporting from the big three whereas Braga have to play Benfica and Porto so this final run of games with only one point between those two teams could be very interesting indeed well let's talk about the game, Barney and the interesting thing I found was that there were plenty of missed chances in the game both teams I thought could have scored more than they did and had good opportunities to do so Braga I thought had strangely identical halves I think in both the first and the second half they flew out of the blocks early doors had multiple chances to score but failed to take any of them and you really sense that if they didn't capitalise on one of those chances, then it would come back to bite them. And of course, Gil they had their own chances wasted. Samuelino and Fran Navarro, the two stars of the team, both really close to scoring, but couldn't find that final touch. I did think it was quite funny how after two halves where both teams were playing really great football, both teams were really trying to create good chances. There was a lot of good, intricate passing without much coming off. Um, I found it funny, therefore, that it was a substitute who kind of picks up the ball in the 89th minute on the edge of the box could pass it, but just thinks fuck this, I'm going to shoot. And it's a proper goal. It was a real outside of the box banger that breaks the deadlock and got
1: Gil Vicente uh, all three points. You know, all season we've talked a lot about Gil Vicente's attacking person, but for me in this game, what impressed me was I thought they were so solid defensively. I mean, Freelaring goal was absolutely phenomenal. I thought he was, you know, some of the saves that saves there was like that. But certainly in the first half, he he was just a, a walled in that in that defense. He wasn't letting anything past him. And then Lucas Kuna, the center back, who interestedly signed from Braga in the summer, was excellent. You know, he had seven clearances from him. And I thought a player um who really impressed me out Emmanuel Hackman, who actually came off of Henrique Gomez, but um you know, he, he's absolutely an understudy for Z. Carlos. You know, Z. Carlos is fit, he, he plays. And the reason he's playing this game is because he's on loan from Braga. So, Manuel Hackman was just a very rare start for him. And he just absolutely delivered. I think he had the joint most defensive contribution. So, with uh, Lucas Cunha. So, Braga were really good going forward themselves. And there were some backs against the wall defending. But I think overall, you know, I, I think we saw the your Vicente side, uh, just a really mature defensive performance. You know, they, they really, really, um, really had to work to, to keep Braga out and they did.
0: It was a different side of your Vicente that perhaps we've not praised enough this season. We obviously spend a lot of time talking about their flair players, their attacking players, their creative players, you know, Fujimoto, Pedrinho, Samuel Fran Navarro. But as you say, it was definitely the defence and the goalkeeper who uh, put in really great performances and, and got their side over the line I mentioned those mischances Barney what do you make of that because obviously Braga had two goals ruled out for offside and I did think on balance they they had the best chances in the game but players that we kind of became accustomed to to seeing put the ball in the back of net recently just not hitting the mark Abel Ruiz was well Barney for Braga he missed a big chance and um, I just wonder whether it was the occasion getting to the players whether it was nerves, because there was obviously a
1: lot of riding on the game, uh, and I would have predicted perhaps a high-scoring one. It was certainly a a tense and sometimes a little frantic game, wasn't it? And perhaps the attacking players of both teams felt, felt the pressure. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Lino's chance, where... He tried to scoop it on the outside of his right foot, it was that was a, a poor decision. And I, I sort of expect better from him. And then Vettini as well for Braga, who was I, I want to praise him because he, you know, he looks like a striker who's been playing this league for years. The, the way he is, but he, you know, he's only come into the seed this season. But he needs to work on staying on side. There was quite a few chances where he was his positioning was a little poor. But I think perhaps we're, we're going down a negative route looking at the, the, these missed chances because you know ultimately uh, some of the plays from the. Both midfields. I mean, I think Al Mazrati was absolutely fantastic. You know, some of these little uh, dinks he just played over Gio Vicente's back line, you know, did that several times. And I thought I like it's been ages since I've been able to praise him. He, he looked really, really good. And then Fujimoto, you know, seeing him carve some passes through through that Braga back line, you know, the way that both these teams are creating with some, some brilliant chances was just so good to see. Oh, but I sort of wanted to um, compare the two squads because I think if I look at Braga, what I've seen from them this season is a sort of, Almost a, a depleted squad. They're having to use young players, and, and some of those young players are there on, on merit. Don't get me wrong, but you know they've lost Galano to uh, their second best player. You throw in the mix this the Europa League, where that you know they have every possibility of progressing in. You know, because Carlos Carvajal mentioned it. You know, you know th- this is a, a packed schedule for them. Playing on Thursdays and then again on Sunday. That that's going to be hard for his squad. And then if you like, look at Gil Vicente, they've been very lucky in a sense. The only player they've lost is Murillo for injury. And most importantly, like they kept their players this window. Samuelino, Fran Navarro, Fujimoto, Pedrinho. I think when you look at that and compare the two teams in that sense, maybe I am coming around to the way of thinking that Gil Vicente are better placed, if you see what I mean. I think they've got the the squad, they've got the the, the less games in the calendar and it, Braga just seems to have, they're always trying to fix something, if you see what I mean. And, you know, it's, it's its going to be close. It's going to be close.
0: And if you add the fact that Braga could well progress in the Europa League and they're going to have that contend with an extra con- fixture congestion, as well as, as you say, them having a little bit of a makeshift squad at the moment, its I think this run-in is certainly going to be tougher than most people think. So we definitely think this is the battle to look out for in these next few games of the season. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, in eight games time uh, who is sitting in fourth place playing in the Europa League next season. Well, let's move on, Barney, and let's talk about Porto, who took on Tondela at the weekend. And to use the biggest cliche of them all, Barney, I felt like this game was definitely a game of two halves. Tondela impressed me quite a lot in the first half, defending very well especially for a team that's conceded more goals than any other team this season with 52 goals conceded. But very much matching Porto for chances in the first half. However, in the second half, Porto really turned it on, helped by a couple of substitutions and the sending off for and won the game comfortably 4-0. Now, we were greeted by the news, Barney, as we logged on to record this podcast that as a result of this 4-0 loss, Tondella manager Paco Ayes has been relieved of his duties and will apparently be replaced by Nuno Campos, the former Santa Clara manager. This is all coming from the ever-reliable Pedro Sepúlveda on Twitter. Very interesting to hear, Barney. I have to say, I think it's a bit harsh, but I'm interested in your thoughts on Aestha and sacking, because as I say, it has been a difficult season for Tondela. They sit in and around the relegation places and famously conceded more goals than any other team.
1: I've always quite liked Esther, and I think mainly because, you know, from what we saw last season we shouldn't forget that tonde are sort of almost always overachieving just by staying in this league aren't they you know it's, it's they're not a historically big club in the top tier I think last season the thing that esther had was that that ridiculous home form which was so bizarre to see but they were so strong at home this season it hasn't been the same and as you mentioned that the goals have been flooding in at home and on the road and that's been a, a real problem I think the club as a whole though you know they've they very much went down a different route this season which was the amount of loan loanees they were bringing in and, and some of them quite young I mean look at that defense at one point you know he was playing Kresma and, and Sang-yan at, um at the back and both of these are young players on loan from different clubs you know and, and it's hard to build a team when your base is players who aren't going to be that season you know he, he had a very tough job to do I think is what I'm trying to say Albert and I uh, it is a shame to see him go, but perhaps something needed to, to change. And then, yeah, I, I, Iestran, the, the, the best of luck, because I really, I really liked him as a manager. He seems, he seems to, you know, do enough with, uh, with not much, like I'll say. I have to say, I, I agree.
0: I, I, I don't think Iestran was the problem at Tondela until, In fact, I think I'd be inclined to say that he was one of the best things about the club. I always found him to be quite a calming figure, quite an experienced manager. In general, I thought he, he got. You got good performances out of Tondela, even as you say, with with quite a weak squad. But I guess you can't look past the, the the poor form that they've been in this season, right down the bottom of the table, conceding more goals than anyone else. You know, last season, as you say, I thought he did a good job of solidifying Tondela, but that's that kind of gone away now. So I can understand uh, if he if he's been asked to move on. Obviously, former Santa Clara man campus Campos is coming in. He didn't do a great job with Santa Clara, but we'll have to see how he does with. Tondela. Let's talk about the game, Barney. Obviously, the 4-0 result was very disappointing. And let's stick with Tondela for now, because I think they will be slightly disappointed coming after the game. One of the reasons I was surprised to see how leave is because, for me, Tondela's first half performance was the best I've seen them play all season, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, I think they probably got quite unlucky with both the penalty and the red card. I thought they were defensively very solid. In the first half, I thought they matched Porto for chances. Of course, the second half was a different story, but maybe without that penalty, maybe without the red card, it could have been a different result on a different day.
1: I mean, that, that penalty was soft as shit, man. That was, that was, <laughs> uh, I, I was so surprised that was given. And and then the yellow card, I mean, I just felt... I did feel for Hernando because Cesc Almeida should have, should have taken Bruno out. He was trying to. Do, he just couldn't get the job done. And then he just sort of clattered into... Um, Hernandez so uh, yeah I, I did feel for that second year as well that's, that's, they were unlucky and you mentioned you know that that really good defensive performance in the first half from them you know that's partly to do with Estran he's he's trying to change things he's playing a five at the back you know bringing young players like Thiago Almeida the right wing back you know give Giving mean, Neto Borges a, a license to to get forward a bit more. He, I mean, he was he was he was excellent at left wing back. I thought, and so you know that I thought that was a positive change. So uh, another reason why I was surprised to see him um, to see him get the the chop after this game.
0: I think there were definitely positives in the Tondela team, as you say, Neto Borges definitely one of them. I thought had a good game at left back, and with Sanyan I thought was phenomenal at centre back in the first half. But of course, Porto did completely turn the game around in the second half, and I think substitutions were key in this game, Barney. Fabio Vieira, Chico Sal and Galeno all brought in in the second half. They made the difference. Do you think it was a mistake from Sergio Sal not to start with fresher legs on the pitch? I thought when those three players came on, the team just looked fresher, a more energetic. That lethargy from the first half was gone uh, and they really managed to blow Tondela away in the manner that we kind of expected them to before the game.
1: I wanted to talk about these substitutions because it's... um I saw a statistic that was just saying it's the first time in the league's history where three substitutes have come on, have each scored. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's simply down to the fact that, in my opinion, the the league have continued to allow five substitutions this season. This was a thing that was brought in last season due to the the fixture congestion because of COVID, right? And now in England, we've reverted back to just three substitutes this season because the the calendar went back to normal and there were some arguments that this this increased number of substitutes favoured the bigger clubs. And in Portugal, that's certainly the case, right? Because the big three are all in Europe all have larger squads, successful B teams that they can use players from too. It, it, particularly in, in, this, in this game, it just seemed glaringly obvious that this is a real disadvantage to the smaller teams because, you know, look what P- P- Porto brought on. They brought on Galeno who scored, right? He was one Br- of Braga's best players and is now a squad player for Porto. Uh, you know, Porto also signed Stachio, who was one of the best midfielders in the league, and now he is also a squad player. And I feel bad because I'm not trying to take away anything anything away from these players who came on for Porto in this game. I think Chico Conte-Sao is a brilliant impact sub. I think every time he comes on, his desire to score. And do something. It get every time he gets in the pitch. He's just he's just dangerous. He's fantastic. I'm so happy for Glade to get his first goal since coming back to Porto. I think he's obviously looking to start in this team and, and try and work his way into the first team. And Fabio Friero it's Fabio if we, are, we love him. But I do think perhaps we as a, as a podcast as well have sort of missed this point about this five substitute rule which has sort of just stayed on in, in this league and not been aware of how huge an advantage in my opinion this is for a big free team
0: yeah I agree I think I think it is an advantage I,
1: I quite like the idea of being
0: able to make five substitutions just because I think it would help with with fixed congestion but uh, yeah I agree in a league like Portugal where uh, the squads are so imbalanced that it does definitely favor the bigger teams and I think actually this doesn't have to be a negative for Porto as well. I think you could also say that if they only were allowed three substitutions, then it perhaps Sergio Consasano was then forced to start some of those players that he brought off the bench. And I think that probably was what I was trying to get at. I think he started with a very similar team to what played in Europe. And I think that was a mistake because the players weren't fresh. You could see they were lethargic in the first half. They were crying out for those players to come on. And it would have, for me, been a much better game overall with those players had started from the beginning and Porto probably won, won the game more comfortably if they had done.
1: I think um Chico Contesao for me and um Fabio Rivera we've discussed regularly about him deserving a, a starting spot and being a real dangerous player. But Chico Contrasao like, like I mentioned you know if, if if he's looking to do something a bit different in Europe and, and like you know when he gave Tony Martinez the chance I, I would I would I would definitely be giving Chico Contesao a chance because he, he's absolutely every time he's come on he's absolutely delivered for for Porto. And I think to add to that, I will, I will give Galeno a
0: bit of praise. I was pleased to see him get his goal. He is a player that I do want to see succeed at Porto. I know uh, it's a little bit of a shame to see him go from being a starter for Braga to a squad player at Porto, as you mentioned. But he's a player that I would love to see make an impact in uh, in the Porto squad not least for the narrative of him returning to the club that let him go and to succeed would be great and he's a player that
1: I really like so he's got a little score and I was very pleased by that. I think that those, the wing positions are very interesting for me at, at, at Porto because there isn't a nailed on starter on that left-hand side for me now that Nios Diaz has departed. I think you know, it's, it's a little battle between Pepe and Galena and I think Conte I was working out who who he's sort of trusting more. Um, so it, it will be good to see. I, I think Galena has the, I think for me, is is the is the better of the two from what I've seen.
0: Of course, it was a phenomenal win for Porto, Barney. Incredible stat. It's now 500 days since Porto last lost a league match. That game was 3-2 versus Pastor Ferreira. I believe it is Stadio Degrao. I remember the game quite well. And to think... At that moment when we were talking about them falling behind sporting, there was a lot of negativity. Just think back and, and at the time, if you told me that would have been the last time they lost a game in the league for 500 days. It's truly incredible. It's now 54 games in a row without a loss. I believe the Premier League record is 56. So it's not far to go for them to beat that record. And the only question really is how far can they take this? They've got Braga and Benfica in their last four games of the season. But in my opinion, Barney, it's really not beyond the realms of possibility that with eight games left in the league at the end of the season, Porto could be sitting on an unbeaten run of 62 games and unbeaten for the whole season. It's really not beyond the realms of possibility.
1: So, see Benfica doing uh, what they did to Sporting last season and just getting <laughs> a, it's the, uh, the league perfect. will be tied up. But it yeah, it is, it is. this is an incredible achievement. Obviously, and it is impressive this record, but. All that matters is the league. That's all that matters to to put Porto fans. I mean, as soon as they've won that, that that'll be it. It's, it's you know, if, if if they get the record, it'll be the ice and the cake, but the league is the most important thing. I think the thing that we're seeing from Porto that we didn't see from Sporting last season is that if Porto get in a tricky situation, like they might have a tough first half, they're going to come and score three three or four goals in the second half. That That's the difference for me from that Sporting side we saw last season. So, I mean, they're looking, they're looking really good for that record, man. They're looking so good. Let's talk about another game, Barney. Let's talk about
0: Benfica, who took on Vizela at the weekend. And it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, but I have to say I did feel that this could be a potential banana skin for Benfica, just as their recent loss at home to Gil Vicente was. And it proved to be the case, although not quite in the way that I expected. It was an early red card for a Delta Raps that turned this into a much tighter game than expected, Benfica only walked away with a 1-1 draw and of course the red card definitely changed the game I don't think there's any question marks over the red card itself but it definitely had an impact on the result and personally given how threatening Benfica looked on the attack even with a man down I think it's probably fair to say that it was also a difference between
1: winning and drawing it had to be a delta round I I mean, it was such a poor foul. It was so lazy. Like, it's just. just... As soon as he went in like that, like, I know they had to check VAR to see if it was red, but you just could tell, like, it was so disappointing because, I mean, we've got to be real. The reason he was starting so many games recently is because he's been one of their better players. And it was such a shame for him to to go out of that and affect the result of this game so much. It's an interesting one because I also want to give some praise to vizetta because I, th- I think that the way they played, yes, it was with a man advantage but still there's some beautiful football on display. I thought, I mean, Cassiano's goal, oh, I mean, come on, that was such a beautiful move. A coffee cow at, at right back for them had an f- absolutely fantastic game. You know, he was getting, he was getting more space obviously with Grimaldo sort of getting little to no protection from that depleting Benfica midfield but you know he's been such a fantastic player for this, this season. He looks like such a good right back, and the way he linked up with Kiko Bondoza, who played that disguised pass into him for the the assist for Cassiano, it was just such a such a good move. And I know you talked about Kiko Bondoza before, Al, but I don't know if you wanted to say any more about him because he he looks he looked really exciting as well. He's definitely one of my favorite players in this Rosada squad. I think he's a fantastic playmaker. We were talking
0: about him a lot a few weeks ago. I forget exactly what game it was, but it was a game that Vizela played and he really stood out. I think he got a couple of assists and a goal in in, in that game and just looked like the type of player who belonged in the Premier League. I was so surprised that this is the first time he's, he's ever played in the top division. I agree. I think Vizela were good. If I'm being really harsh, I would say that. I don't feel like they made the most of the man advantage. I think their best spell of the game was that opening 10, 15 minutes of the second half. When they got their goal, they obviously came out very positively really pegged Benfica back and as you say it was a great team move um that got Cassiano the goal but I think you also in a way have to credit Benfica because they stayed in the game and even dominated a lot of it even with 10 men and I think with a bit of luck themselves they probably could have nicked a second goal and I think on balance I think they were probably the team more likely to score again and, and more likely
1: to get the win Rafa looked back to his old self, didn't he? In this mm-hmm. one, he was. I'm still of the thinking that him and Briscoe d- will not work. I think the only reason perhaps he did excel in this game was because of the tweak information they had to make once Trab came off and it sort of gave him more space to come inside. But, you know, uh, but don't get me wrong, uh, you could also see he was hungry in this game and wanted to create and get the points to a Benfica. So I think that was the reason. But. I do think whenever a, a, a new manager comes in, certain players will lose out, and I think Rafa is being asked to do things he doesn't want to do. It, it, but I think overall, you know, this was a, a really good performance from Rafa, which I, you know, I, I, I could see that desire was in there from him, which we perhaps haven't seen in recent weeks.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think he was a really key player in the game, and he seemed to take more responsibility than he has done um, in recent weeks. I think Darwin had a tricky game, Barney. He seemed to be having one of those games for me where where things didn't quite click. I think that was summed up by literally the last kick of the game where he did so well in the the dying minutes of the game to get into a goal-scoring position. But he fires straight at the keeper from point-bank lanes and possibly had better options if he could have passed to a teammate. Do you think he's struggling at times with having to shoulder most of the goal-scoring burden? Because that's certainly what I felt like in this game. Benfica obviously not really got another goal scorer that they can rely on. And he's having to step up in pretty much every match that he plays in.
1: I think it's a mixture of a a, a young striker, hungry for goals and perhaps sometimes not making the, the, the right decision. Though I do think it's a fair point you make about the, the goal scoring and be shouldered on him because Juremschuk's obviously not delivering. Rafa's obviously been out of form in terms of goals and assists recently. And... um Maybe Doran is feeling the pressure, but personally, I just think he, he he's just, the, I, I just see a young striker hungry to score and, and some, sometimes blinded by the by the goal and, and not seeing his mm-hmm. teammate. Well,
0: let's quickly do the last game from the big three, Barney. Let's talk about Sporting, uh, who took on Morrowinds. They won 2-0 on Monday night. It was a good, solid win for Sporting. They were very good in the first half. They got those two goals that they needed in that first half. Uh, they let it go a little bit perhaps towards the end of the game and could have let more runs in. But in the end, they saw the game out and it was very much a case of, of job done.
1: So I saw a statistic saying that Sporting have scored more goals than at the same point as last season. have addressed that issue for me, which I think they faced last year. There were too many games that were too tight, 1-0 wins, last-minute goals. And I feel like they're better at attacking this season is what I'm trying to get. They're, they're building up play better there. I mean, you know, look at that right-hand side in this game. Marcus Edwards starting, obviously Pedro Power at, at fullback. I felt like it almost didn't seem fair. You know, you could. There were moments you could tell it was a, a new relationship. You know, a couple of times they got too close to each other, but, man, they were so good. It's I think that's a, that's such an exciting combination that has become so lethal for sporting. You know, Edwards cutting inside and has left power on the outside offering the width. It was just, um, yeah, really, really exciting to see. Also, we have to talk about Marcus evers He was handed his first start in a sporting shirt, which
0: was exciting to see. And he definitely delivered. I think he ended the game with the Man of the Match Award. He got himself an assist with a inch-perfect cross for Slomani to nod home. He was also involved in the build-up for the second goal too uh, and looked very positive all night, as you said. He only played for an hour. And I think much like his other appearances so far for sporting, I, I was kind of left with the feeling that there's a lot more to come from Marcus in a sporting shirt in a good way. Amorim is kind of easing him in, but every time he plays, I think we see glimpses of, of just how good he could be for sporting once he's settled in more. And I think perhaps next season, if he's given a run of starts from the beginning of the season, we could see him really come on leaps and bounds in a,
1: in a sporting shirt. I think a player to, to sort of compare him to Albert, actually, is uh, Manuel ungate Because Ngarte came in, it was last January wasn't it and you know he, he really had to wait for his opportunities you know Amron took his time getting into the team and now now in recent months every time he's playing he's been playing play, started against Man City you know he's been absolutely unreal for them I think he's you know Palina's been touted for a big move Mateus Nunes has been touted for a big move but the, the way Manuel Garte is playing at the moment you know I think he, he could be the one for, for that big money move so I think I think that's sort of what we touched on before. I think Amarin is going to take his time with Marcus Edwards. You know, he's not going to rush in because he has got a he's got a squad that he can work with. And I think I think that will benefit Marcus in the long run. Like we've seen Garte benefit from that sort of slow introduction to the team. Conversely as well from what we
0: were talking about with Sergio Costao, Amarin rotates the squad for the start of the game. And I think it paid off. It was a really bright start to the game and, and as I said they killed the game off in the first half. And of course what we've been talking about as well Barney with a lot of these Portuguese bigger Portuguese clubs, is is their involvement in Europe and how that's going to affect the rest of their season. Obviously, Sporting will be disappointed not to be in the Champions League anymore. Everybody wants to be in the Champions League. But I think when you look at their running for the rest of the season, we've talked about how difficult it's going to be to overcome Porto. for Sporting's perspective, with no distractions in Europe and now what we're seeing is that uh, a bigger squad with plenty of players ready to contribute, I think they are putting themselves now in the best position possible to go on a good run towards the end of the season obviously to win the league they pretty much have to win every single game that they've got left who knows whether they'll do that but like i said i think they've put themselves in a really good position with the players that they've got with the time that they can now dedicate to the league to really give it a good go and just have a crack at every single game that comes their way domestically
1: oh i suppose i'll talk about (laughs) more because it's not the most positive thing to talk about i mean look it's one point in their last five games, three consecutive home losses, only one goal in their last five games, one win in their last nine games. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure what they can do, Albert, because when you look at that, If you look at their team, right, their best their best players are their attackers, I'd say. You know, Raphael Martins, Andre Lewis, Jan Mateus. But they seriously, seriously are lacking in midfield for me, Albert. They they sold Felipe Soros in the, in the January transfer window, who for me was... Is the only player they have in that team who, who I think can keep the ball and, and, and maintain the right tempo of the way they play, but because they have the lowest possession in the league, and, and and that is their real problem. They're they're having to defend for a lot longer than everyone else. They and they don't have the players to do that well. So unless our Pinto can sort of do something where they can, you know, hit teams on the counter attack and, and and break quickly. Uh, I, I just see them struggling because I, I think they're a team and a squad who have just disappeared in any sort of like balance. You know, I think they, they've just just let players go. They haven't brought in the right players and and, and and they're in a real tough situation for me. I think when Lito Vidigal was sacked, we went on a big rant about
0: how poorly run a club Moro is. And I think it is unfortunately true. They're obviously in a really tough situation now. I believe that they're, they're second from bottom after this result. Um, Interestingly, they're kind of hoping that Tondela will be the ones to that they'll take over. But Tondela have just have just replaced their manager. Perhaps they'll get a new manager bounce. Perhaps the players will be have that kind of fresh motivation to put in good performances. Borends, on the other hand, already rolled their dice in terms of managers brought in Sarpinto. I think Sarpinto's done some good things with that squad. I think he's added a kind of energy to the squad. He's added an aggressiveness. He's added a fight to their game, which they they needed. But I agree. I think the squad is. Is is struggling. It's 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 really weak and and I will be slightly disappointed if they do go down. I think long term listeners will know that I have this kind of weird affinity with Mororen. So I'm not sure why. I think I just like their shirts, but um, no, they're in a really tough position, and I think we could be uh, really hard fought to get out of out of the relegation zone. Well, let's do another game, Barney. Only a few games left to discuss on this episode, and let's quickly touch on Maritimo versus. Victoria, and it was Victoria who got a very well deserved away win against Maritima. And that's now two good results in a row after beating Family Cow and now Maritima, of course, coming off the back of two really disastrous losses before this against Aruka and Bisa. I have to say, I'm pleased to see them digging in deep and, and, and getting some results, even though their form has been pretty poor this season. Um, I thought on balance, they probably deserved to win. I thought they created the better chances, and whilst it wasn't perfect by any by any means, there were definite positives to the game, particularly I thought in midfield.
1: Well, it was that jean vier goal, but wasn't it? That was an absolute rocket, so nice, and the, the the way it built up that goal as well. You know, the oh, it was just such a pure hit right into the top corner. I mean, that was absolutely glorious. Well, I mean,
0: it was a f- brilliant finish for, from jean vier He's obviously not a guaranteed starter in that midfield, but he definitely has that kind of finish. In his locker, I think there are one or two positives in that Victoria's squad. Obviously, there are, as we've said, there are weaknesses, there are holes, there are there are there are poor players in that team. But I think in that midfield, especially in players like Andre Almeida, I think in Thiago Silva, players like Rashinha, I think those are the type of, of creative players, attacking players that can get Victoria opportunities. I think at times when you watch them play, it looks like Rashinha is really trying to do everything himself. Um, and sometimes he has to. But there is quality in that midfield. And if they can keep players like that fit and on the pitch, they'll at least create chances in any game that they play in, I think.
1: Yeah. And I I guess Maurice Murray will be sort of disappointed with that result, obviously being at home themselves. You know, they they had been on a a very good run of form, beating Morones last week, drawing with Sporting. But there's that, uh, the loss to Family of Cal the week before that sporting draw. And now this one, you know, these are two results. They, I mean, realistically, these are perfectly understandable results. Obviously, Victoria being the bigger team. But like, you know, I think that sort of shows where Marisa are, are out under Velasquez that we're sort of expecting them yeah. to, to, to get results here. Aren't yeah, it will be interesting to see whether this is kind of a blip or a more
0: extended run of poor form former, former reads. but I think this is slightly uncharted territory. Listeners will know that we've been banging on about them and uh, Vasco Siabra ever since he joined, about how good they've been. But this is the first time that they've kind of really been tested. It's a couple of bad results in a row. Um, and yeah, it will be very interesting to see how they bounce back if they're able to regain that form that they had uh, over the last few games. Let's just do the last couple of games then, Barney. Let's quickly touch on Estoril versus Portham and Enns. won 2-0 in a game that two months or so ago would have probably been billed as one of the games of the week between two of the big surprises of the season. But both teams have have had such a big drop-off in form. um, I think Estrell will be delighted to get another win. That's now just four wins in 20 games. They've really struggled to get significant points on the board, although plenty of draws in that time have kept them clear of, of any real disaster.
1: Yeah, this was a, a good game for um, a couple of our favourite players. Um, Chico Chika Giral- Giraldes had a, a great, uh, fantastic game from from defensive midfield. You know, playing as a six, which we don't see him play that often. Ninety-three point eight percent pass, actually, three key passes, three shots, one on target, chucking a few completed dribbles in there too. You know, this was a, a great game for him. And then a, a new player that's one of my Someone I sort of said we should keep an eye on Jordi and Bula, um, replacement, the Spanish winger on loan from Mallorca, having previously been on the books of Monaco, Barcelona youth teams. I thought it was an interesting one for him because I I thought I thought he was all pace, right? Uh, you know, I thought he was just 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 legs. But I think in this game he showed some some good passing and some nice through balls and yeah. But there's a reward of a goal uh, in this game, so yeah, great to see him get off the mark.
0: Julian a made figure of the week by a good friend of the show Jamie Far uh, on Portugal.net. So definitely make sure to read up on that one.
1: I've got a stat for you about Portsmouth ends. Out, go on. It's a great stat. So seventeen different players have scored for Portsmouth ends in the Premier League of this season. Their top goal scorers, are Elton Burmwater with three, and Better with two, both of whom are not here anymore. Wow so that that's, that tells a that tells a story, doesn't it? It really does, wow! Because they've played multiple strikers up top this season. I think uh, this season, Wellington Silva got that goal against Benfica a, a couple of weeks ago. Is it Wellington aponza as well? The the young Colombian who came burst to the scene at the beginning of the season, and Fabricio as well has popped up. You know, they're just they need a goal scorer. They need someone to 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 get just banging a couple. And and we've seen so many faces in that front line. They just perhaps need to settle on. Well, it was a real shame because I thought the youngster
0: Thiago Moraes, who they signed from Olienens in January was going to be that man. He obviously got a really, really tragic injury, which pretty much ended the season, I think only a second or third game and he and he'd scored in, in his first first game that so that's a real shame. So they've really struggled to replace better. And I wonder if if that lack of goal score has been what has contributed to such a poor run of form because as I alluded to earlier Barney Portman ends as well as Esther, one of the teams that around January time or just before we were really praising as a team with potential to push for Europe and it's been a really disastrous drop-off in form, which has seen them, luckily, not anywhere in trouble in terms of relegation or anything like that, but it's really put an end to their season. There's no real European hopes. It's kind of just about um, ticking it over until, until the end of the season, really. Well, finally, Barney, let's just very quickly touch on Aruca versus Passos. I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't got tons of notes on this game, but I did spot that Passos de Ferreira beat Aruka 1-0 away from home. And who scored? You got it. January signing. Nico Gaitan, who netted for the second time in two games. Could Nico Gaetan be back in the big time,
1: Barney? Can we just appreciate, right, that Passos de Throws' best players are 34-year-old Antunes, <laughs> 37-year-old Luis Carlos, and now 34-year-old Nicholas Gaetan. Like, it's just, you know, let's just appreciate that <laughs> for a minute. I mean, it's just so good to see. Because didn't Antunes get the assist or, or, or in this game of for a guy's head, or at least uh, for another goal i think i mean he has been absolutely ridiculous this season i think he's he's been probably one of my favorite players in this league it's incredible that he's been genuinely
0: one of their most influential players even at his age and yeah Passos turning into something of a uh a retirement home for Premier league of legends it seems uh and we're all here for it long may it continue <laughs> well look that's the last of the game's uh, from this week and brings us to the end of the show. Of course, we're going to do what we always do at the end of the show uh, and recommend you some games of the week to try and watch this weekend. And it looks like another excellent weekend of Premier League of Football, Barney. looks like there's great fixtures on both Saturday and Sunday. The pick of the bunch on Saturday seems quite obvious
1: to me, Barney. 30 pm Saturday night, for de Gemaraes versus Sporting. Definitely. And then, um, man, it's a super Sunday, isn't it? I mean, every single one of those fixtures, I'd say, is pretty, uh, pretty good. Benfica will stand out for me because that that could be a good one. And Boavista Porto, I think, just because I feel like Boavista, you know, they haven't got many wins, but they, has put a solidity on that team. That they, they, they could be, I can see them being a real sort of. They're gonna, they're gonna dig deep against Porto. That's for sure. I mean, it's the
0: Porto Derby, Barney. you can never say no to the Porto Derby. That's at eight forty-five PM on Sunday night. As you say, Sunday, plenty of good fixtures. If you wanted, if you were a psycho like us, you could try for a triple bill. 3.30pm, Gil Vicente versus Maritimo, followed at mm-hmm. 6 o'clock by Benfica-Esteril, and you can round it all off with the Porto derby at 8.45. So you can't say there's not plenty of choice
1: at the weekend. And just in terms of the relegation scrap, Saturday, 3.30, Tom Rupa, if you're, if you're looking for a bit of drama. <laughs> That's one for the real purists, I think. <laughs> well, look,
0: we're going to leave it there for this week's episode. We were going to fit in a little Q&A at the end of the show, but me and Barney have slightly run out of time, so we're going to carry that over to next week. Send in any questions that you want answered on the show if you want to hear us answer them next week. If you've enjoyed the show, you could leave us a little review on Google Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. Both of those things will help the podcast grow on those platforms. If you want to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at LoneWolfFootball.com. And as always, we love getting involved in any of you guys' conversations or uh, questions that you want to fire over to us. But it just leaves me with to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, I'll see you next week.